Boy, did I miss you last week, but I got to listen to the CD the, uh, over our, uh, you know, the computer. You get online and you can listen to the message. And I heard the message that Pastor Bill gave, and my goodness, it was, yes, please applaud. It was phenomenal. Is out of Second Timothy. Timothy, you remember Second Timothy four one through eight, and he talked how Paul wanted us to finish strong, and and he mentioned how that's the the whole process of us as a church, not caring how we began our faith, but really wanting to be a church that 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 is absolutely filled with people who desire to finish strong this race that the Lord God has given us. And so Paul said to Timothy, "I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept." the faith. And that's what I want from us so, so much. So, Pastor Bill, I know you're probably in here. Um, uh, thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, I, I, uh, I received some emails and I received some questionings of what we're doing and, and all. And I want to make sure that you're clear on, on where we're going. I understand fully. We've been uh, on this extended rabbit trail out of Acts chapter 2. In fact, if you want to, turn there just for a second. I'm going to I'm going to do something a little bit unusual with this message. Um, we're going to be talking about giving today, what the Bible says about it. And we're going to be talking about it next week. And then we are going to move on to worship. And then we're going to go back into chapter 21 of Acts. I've not forgotten where we left off. I have it in my computer. I have that last message. I'll go over it and we'll just start off in chapter 21 like we've never stopped. But the reason we're in Acts chapter 2 is that we thought on our fourth anniversary it would be healthy, it would be extremely healthy for you and me to understand who are we as a church, what are some of the standards that we stand upon, what are the, the policies, if you would, of, of the Rock Community Church. And the, the truth of the matter is there isn't a lot, there isn't a whole bunch. There is in Acts chapter 2 and verses 41 and 42, in 41 there was 3,000 people that gathered together. And so they started the first church service. This was the starting of the church. And the apostles, Peter and Paul and the rest of them, encouraged the people. They wanted the people and they thought, this is what we'll teach the people. We'll teach the people what the Lord Jesus Christ told us to teach them. And the one thing that stood out to us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 are the three words, they continually devoted, four words, they continually devoted themselves. They were continually devoting themselves to four things in verse 42. And so we went over them. We wanted you to know that's what we are as a church. It's really interesting. I received a book from one of the members here in the church, and they, they, uh, they told me to look at a certain page. And on that page, it was a book written by uh, Chuck Smith talking about the end times. And on a certain page, in a certain chapter in this book, he talks about the only real true church. The true church that should be established is the Acts 2 church. And I thought, well, that's exactly what we believe. And then he went on to say, by the end of that century, that church had fallen apart. There was trouble from within, there was trouble from outside, and it fell away and, and became uh, troubled. And so what we want to do here, if God will allow us, and I believe he wants this with all his heart, we want to establish us as an Acts 2 type of church. We want more than anything out of your life and my life is that we are a people who are continually devoting ourselves to the things of God. Not just here in this, this building, but in your work, in your family, 
in your play, wherever you might go, that you are a person who is continually devoting yourself to the things of God. Last service, we had the privilege of praying over a young, a young lady of our church that's going off on a mission journey. She's uh, with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And she's going to Australia. She'll be there for a while, and then she's going to journey off to, uh, she said, either Indonesia or China or, or Africa. She's not certain where she's going to go to conclude her ministry, uh, mission field. And she'll be gone for six months. And we prayed for her, and we asked the Lord to bless her. And, and, and what I wanted for us as a church to sense, her name is Kat, Catherine uh, Thompson. And I would love for you to pray for her. God would watch over her. She's over in Australia for three and a half months, and then as she goes on to wherever the Lord would take her, she promises me she'll email us, let us know where she is, so we can keep you informed. And when she comes back, I want to ask her if she would report to us what, what God did in and through her life. And what, what I wanted from us as a church is to have the sense that we sent her. It is my desire, folks, that we become a missionary-type church. I believe with all of my heart that each of you here now, I believe with all of my heart that there are some of you here in this building right now that have a dream of reaching some people for the cause of Christ. It might be in this community. It might be outside of this community. It might be overseas. What I want from us, if God will allow is that we will be a church that can finance you. We can support you. We can say, you don't have to worry about it. We don't want you right now, if you're dreaming this dream, we don't want you to worry about, wow, oh, I just don't have the money. If I had the money, I'd go. Maybe it's the time right now you, you can't go. Maybe it's certain things that you're obligated to here. You can't go. But when you desire to go, we ask you to come to us. We want to one day be so financially sound that we could send you. Let me, let me not forget, because this is really... To me, this message right here, what we have for our church, is probably as important message as I could possibly give. We want to be a church that enables you to do the dreams that you have and that we can make them, those dreams come true. And so what we want you to do is to know what kind of a church are we? How... How are we functioning? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says four different things. And I venture a guess that some of you didn't know about some of these things that we learned. We learned, first and foremost, they were continually devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Now, that's, that goes without saying. There, there's, there must be a teaching of the Word of God so that you and I know the, the ground rules. The church doesn't set the ground rules. The Lord does. After... The apostles' teachings, it said they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. But I venture a guess that most of you didn't know what fellowship really, truly meant. Most of us think of fellowship and we think, well, we'll go over to the, the overflow room, the multi-purpose room, whatever the room is called, and, and we'll have some soft drinks and we'll have some coffee, and, and we'll just have fellowship with one another. But that's not what that word means. To be continually devoting ourselves to fellowship, as we learn, that word means uh, a partnering, a sharing with one another. And we took upon the whole idea of fellowship, Ephesians 4.12, where it says that we are to equip one another. You see, each of you, all of us, have been given if you've come to Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been given by God a spiritual gift. 
And the gift that he has given to you and to me, once we come to know him, is to be used within the confines of the church so that we can equip one another. Your gift, you might not feel it so important, but it is. God gave it to you, so it's extremely important. And he gave you this gift so as to combine with the other gifts within the church that they all fit together so that we can equip one another. And so you might be able to equip the person you're sitting alongside of or someone across the room or someone Saturday night or someone in the first service. But we equip one another for the work of service, as Ephesians 4.12 says, so that we can ultimately do what we've been called to do, and that is to build up the body of Christ. So that's true fellowship, partnering with one another, sharing with one another our spiritual gifts so as to build up the body of Christ then we're to have communion. It says breaking of bread. And that is done so that we, what communion is for, is to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. But in that remembrance, Jesus says, whenever you drink of this wine or eat of this bread, do it in remembrance from me. And he says, a new covenant I give you, and that's the covenant of forgiveness. And you can rest assured, folks, the moment you and I start doing, being continually devoted to the teaching of the Word of God, continually devoting ourselves to the true meaning of fellowship, you can bet that there will be an attack upon us, either from within or from outside the church. And when the attacks come, because we are human beings, because we're human, we're all sinners, all of us. We, we've learned this. We don't think we're so much. We're just sinners saved by the grace of God. That's what we are. Since we're human beings and since we're sinners, we're going to disappoint one another. More than likely, never on purpose. I guarantee you, unless I look you in the eye and say, I wanted to do that on purpose, you can rest assured, if I hurt your feelings, you can rest assured it was not done on purpose. And if you come to me and say, did you mean to hurt me? That hurt, I I promise you, I'll either say, yes, I did, or no, please forgive me. And that's that's what the whole idea of communion is about, so that we can forgive one another, so as, as Chuck Smith wrote in that article, the Acts 2 Church, by the end of the century, they were, they, were, uh, 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 they were falling apart because of sin. And so we don't want that to happen here. So we're a church that's established. We're, we're, we're foundationally established upon the Word of God, upon fellowship with one another, upon communion, and also prayer. And we learned in prayer, and maybe you learned this for the first time, prayer isn't never to be a list of what you want. Because Jesus already told us, look, before you ask, God already knows what you want and what you need. You don't need to ask Him that. And so what we learned about prayer was, prayer was to hallow the the very name of God, to praise the name of God, to remind us of how great our God is because all of our power stems from the essence of who God is. And so we learned that, that now we find out that we need to share. We need to have a, a, a giving understanding. And what I wanted to do is to explain to you and me what true biblical giving looks like. And that's where we are now. And that's where we'll be next week And then we will close off with worship, how we are to combine all these things by worshiping God with our lives. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's our purpose in life. So now I'm going to close, not close the service. I'm going to go to where I'm going to close with you right now. Look at 
Second Samuel chapter 24. It's the last chapter in the book of Samuel. Samuel, if you go to the middle of your Bible, the book of, of uh, Psalms, Samuel would still be to the left. And you'll go past uh, Esther and Nehemiah and then 1st, 2nd Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Kings and then slow down because as soon as you get to 1st Kings, the next book to the left is Samuel. 2nd Samuel chapter 24. The reason I'm going to read this to you right now as we begin the service is I'm going to come back to it. And what I want you to do is to mull in your mind what took place and why it took place. And I'm not going to tell you why. Some of you will probably figure it out right away. But I'm not going to tell you why this took place until we get to the end of the service. Watch what takes place. Verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 24. Gad came to David, King David. Verse 18. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. And Arana looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over towards him. And Arana went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king, King David, that is. Verse 21. Then Arana said, Why has my lord, the king, come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. Verse 22 says, And Arana said to David, Let my lord, the king, take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look. The oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, all the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Arana gives to you. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. In other words, may he accept this gift. Verse 24, key. However, it says in verse 24, King David said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by entreaty for the land and and the plague was held back from Israel. Now what I want you and me to think through is verse 24. The question I'm going to ask and I'm going to answer and you're going to see why at the end of the service is why did David not accept Arana's gift? And I say to you, you're going to say, oh yeah, of course. Now let's watch this unfold. First, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have to come as just common human beings, people whom you've created who have come to trust in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We've come to praise your holy and righteous name. We've come, Father, as a church to do whatever you have purposed for us to do. We have no no plan that we have made, Father, that is in ink. We have written everything in pencil so that when you move, we can move with you. Our sights are on you, dear Father God. Our love is for you, dear Father God, that you might move us as you so see desire, that we might worship you, that we might praise you, that we might understand and be a church, one church if not many, but at least one church, Father, 
that has built its foundational purpose on you and you alone, your teaching, our fellowship, our communion, our prayers, our giving, and our praises. May we be a people who are continually devoting ourselves to this purpose, whether we're in this building, dear Father, or outside of it at home or at play. Bless us, please, Father. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Would you take me and please, dear Father, move me aside because critical to our understanding giving is seeing it from your perspective, not a human's perspective. My thoughts could get clouded. My motives could be wrong. Yours are never wrong. Yours are never clouded. So open up our eyes and our hearts so we might declare wonderful things or behold wonderful things from your law. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last night I got one of the, after the service, I got one of the, one of the great privileges of this church. Um, attending on a Saturday night is a gentleman by the name of John Grant. I don't know if you know him. He's um, 92, 96 years old. His wife Beverly had a stroke, but she's doing much better. We've been praying for her. He came up to me and he started to climb the stairs. I said, John, John, he always sits right there. He's, he, he wants to hear. And I, and I said, don't come. I said, let me come down. And he said, he took my hand. And he said, that was the best message on giving I've ever heard. He said, you didn't offend a soul. <laughs> and I said, that was my purpose, John. And I, it took me half an hour to get out of this, this room because I, my head kept bumping into the door. I really, it was just, I felt so, so proud that John, who's been to church so much of his life, felt that that was a teaching on giving. And that's what I pray for now. I pray that, that I will not offend a soul, but I pray that the Lord God would teach you would be the very essence of giving. A couple weeks ago, when the last time I, I, we gathered together with me anyways, we were talking about true biblical giving. What does it mean to give unto the Lord? And I said that there are two types of giving within Scripture. You find throughout the Old Testament there's a type of giving called required giving. The other type of giving is called free will offerings or free will giving. It, it is also called, really importantly, first fruit giving. Required giving, I said to you, is only mentioned in the Old Testament and spoke to what we commonly call today a tithe or a tenth. But I've already taught us that a tenth from the Word of God doesn't mean 10%. A tenth came to mean the whole or the best. A tenth meant you gave a whole of what you were going to give, not just 10%. But it was nonetheless, required giving was a tax that was forced upon the people. It was given annually three times to three sections of Israel. To the government, so it might run properly, just as we are taxed. It was given to the poor and the welfare for those that didn't have the means or didn't have the ability to get by. For a while we could, the, the church, well, they were to support those people, to help them get by. It was like a welfare program. And also a, a tithe was given to the Levites, who were the spiritual leaders of Israel. This required giving was a tax. 
Therefore, it was forced upon the people. There was a pressure that they had to give. Yet, we are taught in the New Testament anything but that. We are taught in the New Testament when you and I give to the Lord, we are never to feel forced or coerced. Look with me, 2 Corinthians. Now, please hold on to 2 Samuel. Maybe a piece of paper or something in there, because we're going to come back to 2 Samuel in about 10 to 15 minutes. But look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. It says, we said, we've read this before. It's really critical to understand, because I want you to understand why you would give unto the Lord and what you are to give unto the Lord. I've made that promise to you that I would tell you how much you ought to give. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, each one, you can stop right there, that's to every single one of us. Okay, each one of us must do. We must do something. Each of us must do something. And that is what we are to do is what we have purposed in our hearts. Not grudgingly, nor under compulsion. In other words, the church ought to never make you feel like you have to give. No, your giving must be what you have purposed in your heart. And then it ends up by saying in this verse, God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there means hilarious. Someone who could give just with a, with a, with a great joy in their heart. Now that amount is between you and the Lord. That amount is what you purposed in your heart that you would give unto the Lord, that you would give unto Him cheerfully, not under compulsion, not grudgingly. Nobody should ever make you feel the pressure of giving your free will offering here at the church. Our giving to the Lord ought to be something that you and I do that comes directly from our hearts back to the Lord, offer without any pressure, <clears throat> given cheerfully, given willfully unto the Lord. And that is not what a tithe represents. So any church that teaches you how to tithe is, is unbiblical. It's teaching wrong messages. The reason most churches ask you to tithe or asks the people in the church to tithe is for the hopes of getting them to give something, a 10%. Give 10%. I've heard that over and over again. And we don't want to limit you to 10%. Nor do we want to make it 10% that maybe you cannot cheerfully give 10%. So their tithe is not what ought to be offered within the structure of the church. It ought to be a free will offering that you've purposed already in your heart to give cheerfully unto the Lord because the Lord God says He loves someone that can give to Him cheerfully. So first and foremost, your, your giving unto the Lord should never be with pressure. Don't if, we've, if you ever feel like we've pressured you into giving, don't. I've heard Danny, I heard Danny as we, we went through the offering just a, a while ago, and he said, for those of you that are visiting, what? You don't have to give. Don't feel the pressure to give. We don't want your money. We want to give to you. We want you to understand what is the true principle of giving and let the Lord God deal with your heart. By the way, I, I, Fred and, and, and Pastor Fred and Pastor Wes, I, I don't know... If we can do this, I don't know what the thing is. Maybe you guys can help us think this through. 
But I've been wondering, should we not have offerings during the middle of the worship, the middle of the of singing? I know that, that giving it to the Lord is part of worship. I understand that much. But why break up the wonderful singing time, the praising of the Lord with our voices, to stop and give money? Uh, we have boxes in the back of the church. And, and maybe through this, this whole series you'll learn what, what Kay and I do, if, if just for your information, is that the first of the year we discover, or we try to figure out what is, what is it we'll make. I know some of you live, work and, and live on, uh, uh, shoot, I'm not out in the business world. What do they call it? Uh, commission, right? What? Paychecks, yeah, but, but commission, right? <laughs> it isn't always the same. You know, in other words, you sell some things. Okay, I understand that. But we take it in our mind what it is that we think we're going to make. We combine the two, and what we do is immediately, before taxes and before anything else is, is divvied out any which way, we give to the Lord the first fruits. The very first of that amount we give unto the Lord what we purpose in our hearts. And we give it by check monthly. And so we don't necessarily give it here, but we can but we could put it in the back, and, and I would encourage you to give by check, not by cash, because you want to keep track of what you've given unto the Lord so that you can also write that off legitimately as a, as a as, what do they call that? Huh? A tax reduction, a deduction, whatever it's called. Can you see why I'm not in charge of money here? I'm not kidding. This was not a, I'm not fooling. I don't really know. So, but we do that. And we give monthly. Now, if we're not here, if we're gone away, which we don't go that often, but if we're gone away, we still give. We realize that this, this is our commitment for this year unto the Lord. And so we give in that fashion. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Pastor Wes, I'm wondering, Pastor Fred, if we shouldn't maybe just have people maybe give that way. I, I recognize that sometimes uh, we won't get like something that you might give, but I'm just wondering... You let me know. When we, after we go through this and next week, you let me know. In, in Numbers last week, we said, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 12, and you can look there if you want, or you can look later, but in Numbers chapter 18, verse 12, it says, Give all the best of the fresh oil, the Lord God says. Give all the best of the fresh wine. Give all the best of the grain. In other words, the Lord says, Give the first fruits. That's the whole idea of free will giving. Of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. And there you learn in, in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, excuse me, Numbers 18, uh, 12, we learn the, the, again the principle that we've been taught about the cycle of giving. As King David says, Who are we that we can offer to you as generously as we do, dear Lord? And then King David reminds the Lord, You give to us. And we, in return, give back to you. That's the cycle of giving. It's taught throughout Scripture. God gifts you with a spiritual gift. He gives you a spiritual gift so that you would take that spiritual gift, give back to Him whatever portion it is thereof you, you feel you can comfortably give unto the Lord that you've purposed in your heart. It's, it's not just 
giving that the Lord is going to speak to you and me about how we handle our finances, our time, our, our, our giftedness, our talents. All of those things ought to be given back to the Lord. And if you'll note in that place in, in Numbers 18.12, he says we are to give our best, the first fruits. God's plan for your and my giving to Him was always that we would give Him in our free will offering, our first fruit giving, that we would give Him the very best we have to offer. And that meant in whatever we did. Now, hold your place again in, in 2 Samuel, but turn now to Colossians chapter 3 for just a moment. You and I are to give unto the Lord our best, whether that is our time, whether that is our talent, whether that is our giftedness, our money, our finances, whatever. It was a long time ago, I remember doing this particular place in Scripture at a chapel for the Dodgers. It was a long time ago because I remember who did whatever it is that I'm going to tell you he did in a moment. I'm not going to mention any names. But it was the time when the Dodgers had... Um, uh, the, the, the infield that was together for so long. They had, they had Ron Say at third base, they had uh, Billy Russell at shortstop, they had Davey Lopes at second base, and they had Steve Garvey at first base. I do remember that. And most of the team was coming to chapel, and I gave a message on, on whatever you do, on, on Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It has to do with this whole idea of giving the Lord God our best. And here's the reason why. The guys were kind of... Uh, it was a tense time for the team, and, 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 and they, they were feeling the pressure. And those guys were making more money than they ever dreamt they would make in, in, in playing baseball. They were making like millions of dollars. And, 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 you know, every one of them, every one of them would have played when they were a kid for nothing. They would have paid to get to play ball. And now all of a sudden they're, 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 they're making all kinds of money, and they, they, were, they were going through a kind of a drought, a little dry spell in the season. And so I asked them, I said, why are you guys playing ball? Is it for the money? Are you trying to please the fans? So that they'll, yay, you know, that cheer. There's, there's nothing quite like a cheer when you do something good. The, 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 the cheer that comes from the stand, it's, 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 a, it's like a drug. It's very electric. I said, are you playing for that? Are you playing for Tommy Lasorda? You plan for Mr. O'Malley who owned the team? I says, if you are, you're doing it wrong. And I asked them to turn to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. They had their Bibles there in our chapel. And one of the guys, the reason I remember this so well, is one of the guys made a plaque of this, these two verses and he put it in his locker. It was a big plaque. It was like this. He put it in his locker and when they went on a road trip, he packed that plaque and he put it on whatever locker he is, whatever town he was in. He wanted to remember why he was playing baseball. Because he had drifted away from that. And it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do. Now that, you can stop right there. That means whatever you do. Whether your, you know, your job is mowing lawns or your job is, is selling things or, or you're doing the dishes or whatever it is you do, whatever you do, do your work, what? Heartily as unto the Lord rather than for who? For men. That's not who you and I are to please. Whatever we do, we're to do our work heartily as unto the Lord, rather than to men. Reason being is knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ, well, let me read it correctly, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, cycle of giving. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom 
we serve. That's the issue. Whatever you do to the Lord, you should give Him your best because it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve with this life that we have been given. These moments that we have here on this earth are precious. God has given us time. God has given us this ability to have this moment in our lives. And what He asks from us is that we give Him back our very best. God tells us if we do that, now look with me at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11 and then Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, God tells us if, if we give Him our best, we'll never be able to outgive Him. Watch. He says there is one, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, there is one who scatters. In other words, this person just gives, 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 gives. They scatter. Yet, it, they increase all the more. In other words, seems to me they can't give it away. The sooner they get it away, they get it back. Goes on to say, there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet results only in want. There's a person that saves for that rainy day, and all, of the, time, all the time they save, it seems like it's never enough. They're always in want. Note verse 25. The Bible tells you and me that the generous person will be prosperous. The one who waters will himself be watered. There can be no greater wonderful blessing than that. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Now, these are just a few of the places I could turn you to. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says in verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 3, Honor the Lord from your wealth. Your wealth doesn't mean that you're a rich person. It means honor the Lord from whatever it is that you've received. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first, the first of all your produce. In other words, the very first fruits of what you received. Honor the Lord from that. Why? So that, verse 10, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Principles right before our eyes. The principle of the Word of God is clear. If we honor the Lord from our first fruits, if we give Him our best, I'm not talking about an amount here. I'm just talking what you can cheerfully give unto the Lord. He says he will fill your barns with, your lives with plenty. Turn to uh, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's not only taught in the Old Testament. This principle is also taught in the New. As a matter of fact, I received a wonderful email this particular week. It's from one of our wonderful teachers here at this church. And by the way, this church is really blessed. When I listened to Pastor Bill, when I listened to Pastor West, when I listened to Pastor Fred, when I heard... Paul, uh, excuse me, Wes and Paula uh, uh, Porter speak the other night at Third Friday. When I heard Brent and Melissa uh, Slazak teach the other night, I thought, man, this church is in such good shape. Such good shape. We are a blessed church with wonderful teachers. And this teacher by the name of Bruce Cook, who has a Bible study here at this church, he wrote me the most wonderful email. He, he complimented me on the, on the teaching of Acts. Let me not read that. But let me just say to you, how important is giving, he says. One of the ways, he says, I measure importance is by how much does the Bible speak about the subject. And he says, much of the Bible speaks of possessions, money, and giving. He goes on to write me, the Bible has 450 verses on faith, 560 verses on prayer, 
and over 2,100 verses on giving. He writes, one out of ten verses in the New Testament deals with possessions, money, and giving. And of the 38 parables that Jesus Christ taught, he wrote me, 16 deal directly with giving, possessions, and money. And so he asks me a question when he wrote this email. Why is the Lord so into this giving thing, John? He says, because Matthew 6, 21 tells us where your treasure is, what? There's where your heart's going to be. And listen to what he writes. See if he's not a great teacher. Man, I'm going to steal this sometime. When you forget, I'm going to use this. He said, God is not... No. See, I can't do it. I, I, I won't be able to profile. I'm going to read it to you. Giving is not God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising his children. Because, he says, he is the ultimate giver. And he wants us to be more like him. And I'm thinking, that's brilliant. Bruce Cook, you're a good teacher. I learned a lot from that. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, Paul says, now I say this, the person who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly, and the person who sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. It's clear. You and I will never be able to outgive God. Remember last, last time I got together, you don't, please don't turn there, but, but God asked Moses, tell the people, God said, tell the people to raise a contribution for me. And he says, tell the people from every person who heart, whose heart moves them, they shall raise a contribution for me, says God. All God had to say to Moses was, demand that the people give a contribution to me. But God didn't do that. He said, Moses, raise a contribution. Tell them it's for me from every person whose heart moves them. It wasn't a command. And so in 12 chapters later, in chapter 36, in verses 5 and 6, we are told that Moses had to ask the people to stop giving. They had given more than enough. And it says Moses restrained them from giving more. I believe with all of my heart, I am here and telling you as surely as I am breathing right now, I believe with all of my heart, when God's people believe in the ministry, when God's people believe in the church, when God's people believe that the church is exalting the name of their God and their Savior, Jesus Christ, they too, we too, will give much more than enough. We don't have to coerce people to give. We don't have to make you feel guilty if you don't give enough. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17 states a great truth. It says, every person shall give as they are able. Every person, it says in Deuteronomy 16, 17, shall give as they are able according to the blessings of the Lord their God, which He has given them. Cycle of giving. We give as we are able out of what He has given to us. Now, let's close. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let's answer this question of why did King David not accept the gift from Arana? Why? Most of us would have said, hey, great. I'm supposed to have my, the altar here on your threshing floor. You want to give it to me? Great. Why did King David not accept that gift? Why did he not wish to offer to God that which cost him, King David, nothing? 
I want you to hear this because I believe this is one of the great lessons you and I are going to learn from the Word of God and will forever bless you concerning how you give unto the Lord. Why did David not take Arana's gift? See if you don't agree with me. I believe it's because David knew what we know, or at least what we're learning. And that is, David knew that God would bless him back in return for what he gave to God out of his own pocket. David believed that God would would bless David back in return in far greater amounts than anything that this guy Arana could possibly give him. I had someone come up to me last night and say, you know, I hope this isn't a bad thought, but I believe David didn't want Arana to take away his blessings. And I said, bingo. Absolutely. David wanted to receive from God rather than from Arana. Because David knew that God would not only give back to him far greater than anything that he could ever give to God, that whole cycle of giving thing, but further, David knew that God would bless him spiritually and that Arana could never do. And David wanted the spiritual blessings from his Lord far more than David wanted the physical blessings. And so the savings that he could make on the 50 shekels of silver or whatever he might have paid for that threshing floor was nothing to what God would give him back in return. David understood that. You see, the lesson to me is clear. You and I will never be able to outgive God. And David knew what Scripture taught about that. David didn't want from Arana. David wanted from God. And for God's sakes, I pray to you, don't miss out on the blessings of giving to God, the best that you have, whether it be your finances, this isn't all about money, whether it be your time, whether it be your talent, whether it be your spiritual gift, don't miss the blessings that God wants to pour out upon your life. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Knowing, rather than for man, knowing it is the Lord Jesus Christ who will reward you back in return. Because your purpose in life, whether you give of money, time, talent, whatever, your purpose in life is to give the Lord the best you have. And watch Him bless you back in return. And so King David says, No, Rana, thank you so much for the offer. I I appreciate what you want to give me. But I'm not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost me. And I believe he said that because he wanted God to bless him far more than he wanted Rana to bless him. Learn that lesson. It's an amazing lesson. Dear Father, Would you take of this time that we have just given to you and would you multiply it? Would we be able to praise you, Father, worship you and give you thanks for who you are because there is no one like you. We believe that. We believe that with all of our hearts. We're trying to build this church, Father, upon your rock-solid foundation, your Son, Jesus Christ. And we want to build it so that we would be a people who are continually devoting ourselves 
to not only the teaching of the Word of God, not only to fellowship, dear Father, not only to communion, not only to our prayer life, but our giving life. And our giving, Father, goes beyond anything just financial. It's, it's everything. It's whatever we have, whatever we do. Let us do it heartily unto you. And then, Father, may we be a, a church that learns about worship. That we can praise you with our lives, our very lives. So there's much that we need to know. We establish this, your church. It's a simple thing to do, but it, it must be taught. So, Father, uh, allow us to get through this and then go back into studying the Bible line upon line, word after word. We love you, Father, more than we can tell you. And dear Father, I love these people that you've brought to this church. I love them so much. I love them so much. Father, I love them so much. Bless each of them, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I do love you folks more than I ever put in words. Have a great day, and I thank you. I'll see you next week.